What is the first word that comes to mind when you hear the word library? Books. 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 Oh, uh, cozy. It's like the place you can come alone. Don't uh, be afraid to go in alone. Reading and understanding. Read good knowledge, please. Read lots of books. books. Who reads books these days? Maybe during the pandemic, you finally had the chance to check in with your reading list, or wanted to, and then procrastinated for long enough that you forgot all about your reading goals. It can be hard. In a world where so many things are thrown at us at any given moment, taking the time to let the mind rest, nestle into a cozy chair, and pick up a book sounds like something out of a fantasy. Luckily, we have podcasts and audiobooks to stay plugged in even while doing Sunday chores or in public transit. We hope you're up to something fun while listening. And on that note, welcome to Bibliotech Social. I'm Rachel McKinnon-Dunkeld. And I'm Ada Elina Fuhr. In this episode, Ada and I will be talking about libraries. libraries. <laughs> so what is it about libraries? I'm guessing that most of you have memories of visiting your local library as a young person. Maybe it was on a field trip or with your family. If you've ever seen the movie Matilda, have you seen that movie? I have. Uh, and I also <laughs> read the book. Same. Mm -hmm. Roald Dahl. You know that he's half Norwegian? No way. Mm -hmm. He would spend his summers around <laughs> Oslo. Aww. Mm -hmm. Well, no wonder it was, it was destined to be. <laughs> Okay, so if you've ever read Matilda, seen the movie Matilda or read the book, you'll remember the first time she goes to the library as a four-year-old after being left home alone by neglectful parents. She meets a friendly librarian behind the counter who shows her to the kids' section, and then she proceeds to read all the books she can lay her hands on. Atta and I were interested to cover this topic because each of us have strong memories of libraries growing up. After school, while my mom was working, I would go to my grandparents' house. One of the traditions that my grandma and I had was to walk through the park to the library, fill up her old net bag with books, and then walk back to read them at home. We participated in the summer reading challenges together and even had a reading passport. Atta and I had personal connections to libraries, but as planning students, we think of libraries as flexible spaces where people are welcome in a different way than in a public square or at a government building. We were curious to dive a little deeper. And I knew straight away that I wanted to study libraries in Oslo, as I have spent many, many hours of many different libraries here when I was a student doing my bachelor degree. And I also thought it would be such a great chance to show Rachel one of my favorite cities. And the really interesting thing is that during the summer of 2020, Oslo opened a new main library for the public. It's called Dijkman Bjørvika. And it also just won an award for the Public Library of the Year, given by the International Federation of Library Associations. And we thought this could be an interesting example of a large national library. But we were also excited to check out some of the smaller libraries in Oslo. While we thought that Bjovika was cool, we wondered if it would serve the community like a local library can. Oslo is a divided city, and the river... Akosalva? splits the east and west. Traditionally, the east side has had the reputation of being the rough part of town, working class, lower cost of living, a little further out from the city center. As we considered where to look for a smaller library experience, Atta thought of Holmlia, 
Compared with Bjovika, a place like Homnia is another world. One of the lowest income neighborhoods, Homnia represents a welfare model. Planned during the 70s, built in the 80s, this satellite town is home to one of the largest immigrant populations in Oslo. As we talk to the visitors and staff of both of these libraries, we soon learned that going to the library means much more than just reading books. Actually, I like uh, the material, I like books. Mm. Yes, that's the mainstay, and that's the backbone of the library. Having uh, lectures and all sort of, sort of arrangements, festivals and things like that, that's additional. Mm-hmm. But the non-changing uh, aspect of, of the library is having a mm. very good collection of books and um, be able to use them. And books run the show at Dijkman Bjovika. When you first come into this space, it's impossible not to notice. Arranged all around the entrance are displays of books, highlighting new releases and inviting you to spontaneously discover your next new read. Bjovika Library is located by the newly developed waterfront in Oslo, with some of its neighbor being the Opera House and the newly developed Munch Museum. The first years I was living in Oslo, this plot consisted of a construction site, but you could slowly see it take form as a huge building covered in glass windows. My first time going here, I was meeting a friend of mine before going swimming in the (laughs) Oslo Fjord. (laughs) And this friend, he is horrible at checking his phone. I hate that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I only knew he was somewhere within the library. Mm. And as I walked in and I started looking for him, I soon realized, like, this will not be easy. (laughs) I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What hit me was just the amount of spaces to Mm. sit, nooks, different floors, rooms, (laughs) and all of the possibilities where my friend could be sitting. But luckily, actually, I managed to find him. Later on, I really learned to love that about this library mm. I would go here and study and I would always find kind of my own place but yeah be- because of corona I never got to experience the full potential of Bjørvika th- and I still had some questions and curiosities about the accessibility of the library I was wondering if the location and size of the library could make it inaccessible It is a very big space. It is. It's really big. And it's a little bit far out for a lot of people, too. Mm -hmm. And I was also wondering if a star architect building in one of the most expensive parts of Oslo really could be inclusive for the whole population. One thing we were surprised by, however, was how accessible this space really is. In the coming sections, we will introduce Stine and Sandra, Astrid and Albertine, Rigmur and Ulav. He was the librarian who introduced us to Bjobika. So maybe you think of libraries and you think boring, stuffy. I, I get that. Um, yeah. I've been very comfortable at libraries, kind of mm. because I was like the... As a student. As a student. Or as a student and I had my, my thing, mm-hmm. my mission mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, but we talked to some of your friends last night who actually said some of these exact words, like boring. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, yeah, I get it. When you think of the old library, it's kind of like that walking on eggshells feeling where 
whispering with your friend could lead to an agitated shh. I mean, we experienced that at a a few weeks ago mm-hmm. while planning this while podcast. Planning this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but uh, we were maybe a bit loud. It's it's possible. It's possible, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that traditional view can be exclusive. If you're not learning or even if you just don't know how to read, you feel like maybe you don't have a right to be in that space because it is a very educational, institutional learning place. But Dijkman Biovica, it really breaks those boundaries by creating this space that can be for so much more than Where just we're reading. From, there's like, you don't go to the library, it's not normal. Mm. You, oh, yeah, you were <laughs> strange kids. <laughs> like, I didn't, and all my friends didn't. So it was yeah. when I started to study, I started to go to the library. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you went there all the time. I was there weekly. I was best friends with the person. <laughs> the library it was like a super small cozy one mm-hmm. and i just felt like the aesthetic girl from the movies going to the library <laughs> so this is stina and sandra two cousins from the north of norway we met them while they were sitting in two cozy chairs on one of the upper floors of the library chatting and looking out at the sunset yeah, I remember that. One of them, I think it was Sandra, was actually knitting. Mm-hmm. was trying mm-hmm. to study. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as a student, going to the library is a way to escape that procrastination feeling that you get when you're at you home have for study too long. Dates, uh, where she's from at the library, but this is quite more cooler. So looking at the broader context... One of the things that Ada and I were really curious about with libraries was how they can be this infrastructure, this shape of urban life that extends beyond just being a building. And as as planning students, we talk a lot about these different mentalities surrounding cities and what they can be. And one of the most interesting ones that I thought really related to libraries was this concept of urban fabrication Mm -hmm. where fabrication is alluding to fabric fabric being a flexible and changeable texture a texture that you can feel and might feel different for different people and the way that it takes shape the way that you turn it into something can have an impact on the way that it's experienced as well is it the city that is a fabric is it a building is it what is it that could be this type of fabric i think the fabric is the connection between the public Mm -hmm. the private like the government and then the physical space that we inhabit okay so the library wouldn't be in and of itself the fabric but it would be one element that makes the fabric feel a certain way okay Mm. with stina and sandra after speaking with them we were reflecting on how there was this sense of togetherness in being alone they talked a lot about spending time in the library felt like a place where they could escape but still be connected to the greater world Mm -hmm. this can also challenge the view of the stranger when you look at post-colonial approaches 
post-colonialism is thinking about how the world could be if we acknowledged the colonial past and moved forward trying to seek out justice and equity, mm. particularly for the people that have experienced marginalization. It's about recognizing and being aware of history mm-hmm. and having that context. Exactly. Especially yeah. the history of colonialism. Yeah. So yeah. when we then talk about the stranger, post-colonialism wants to challenge who we look at as strangers, especially yeah. in a city. I was really caught off guard when I heard one of our professors say, you know the stranger. Mm-hmm. You know the stranger because it's the unfamiliar yes. that you're expecting. Yeah, the stranger is the person that you wouldn't expect to be in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you oft- you imagine that person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that betrays our own biases it betrays how we in and of ourselves do experience difference and portray difference on others who have been marginalized historically so the stranger often can be people of color black people people without homes Mm. I feel like I I have a really good example of the stranger. Um, This is one of the libraries I used to study a lot in here in Oslo. So there was a homeless guy who would spend, he would be there every day. And being in the same room as him, you don't have to speak to each other. I never, I never spoke to him, but you still have to like, you have to deal with each other. You're yeah. still in the same room. Yeah. Yeah. And you become comfortable with you be- it. You become comfortable with it. Mm. Which is this whole uh, thing about libraries is that you will meet, even though that you're, you're not interacting with each other, you still get to experience all of these different people. Also behavior that you don't like. <laughs> no, but it could, yeah. And you get used to it. Mm-hmm. You know how to navigate. Navigate. You learn it. how to navigate, mm-hmm. maybe. And through that learning, hopefully those same lessons can be applied outside of the library. Maybe the next time that you're walking down the street and you see somebody who maybe appears houseless or without a home, you feel more comfortable because you're not thinking, I'm in danger. You're thinking, I know you, you're not a stranger anymore. Mm. Thinking about it again in that togetherness in being alone Bjovica is a really special place because, as you were saying earlier, it is so big and there are so many different little secret places that you can find and feel. You don't have to come here with someone else and you can feel like it's okay. Mm. And it also kind of it goes the other way. Um, mm. We're lucky in the way that I don't think we have felt that much being the otherized. otherized. But when you have a library that you don't really, you don't have to do anything to come in here. Mm-hmm. You're not stopped. The experience of otherness can also can be this like phenomenologically changed. changed. Yes, and feeling of you're not you're not welcomed here. Mm. Yes, you're stopped in that space where the stranger becomes familiar. That person stops feeling otherized. Mm. For Stine and Sandra, this was a tangible feeling. I just feel like everyone's just doing their own thing and you kind of can't be a part of it, but still we get to be in our own little bubble, so it's kind of social, but still antisocial. 
So as we were walking along the library, we saw these two ladies sitting. And we were wearing press badges. Yeah, we were wearing press badges. <laughs> we had to wear them. Um, we had a good conversation with the communication uh, guy, guy <laughs> for the library. And I think it's an important thing. He was really like... Mm. open to us being open here. to us but, but he, he also, also really cared about the users of the library and uh, he was saying that for some people um coming to a library is a safe space Absolutely. yeah and not everyone is mm. comfortable being approached but as we were walking along we saw these two ladies sitting talking uh, eagerly to each other been here for a work day because she has traveled to Oslo to meeting when she went here to to work and uh, she said it was such a nice place to work so then uh, a couple of weeks ago I came to Oslo and I thought oh let I'll go and work in Dijkvans so that was and this was Astrid and Albertine and they were visiting Oslo for work yeah. mm. Yeah. and I'm from Songdal mm. on the west coast mm. uh, as we were going up from the ground floor, Edda and I were surprised by how many people yeah, we actually saw working uh, in this space. On the fifth floor you have the students and the books are, you know, they are uh, organized mm. that way. In, in kind of, we, we, just went, we were joking about it on, on the way up. <laughs> the, <stairs>. <laughs> <laughs> the highest level. Degman Bjarvika has a flexibility to it. People are using the space in lots of different ways in whatever mm. ways kind of suit them or what mm -hmm. they're doing that day mm -hmm. obviously for different things mm -hmm. i've studied here i've gone here to borrow books i'm recording mm. a podcast <laughs> here now <laughs> meeting I'm up with friends meeting up with friends yes uh, it kind it suits what you need mm -hmm. it has that flexibility within itself just getting back to that urban fabric an aspect of this is being able to make the space that you're in, not just having the space already made, but actually engaging in the process of turning it into something. And that flexibility is reflected in this library because, as you said, if you're studying here, even if you do come for one purpose, maybe you'll end up doing something else. Mm -hmm. Like in the floor that we're on, it's the music floor. So there's actually a whole an area where you can play music where you can just go and play some instruments and be kind of private. There are games, all of these different things that allow you to, to move. I also think that when we use that picture of the fabric, how a fabric can be turned into something mm. and then you can kind of go back again yeah. and then turn it into something new. I love sewing. And yes. also like Same. Um, redesigning, remaking things. Mm. And it's also, you have so many possibilities within that. And later when we get into the conversation with the architects of this library, we learned so much more about how they really did that intentionally. Mm. That was a very cool part of, of this journey that we've been on. So yeah, thinking about libraries as this thing that can be made and then remade I think libraries also have this strong connection to the past. When I, I grew up, a little girl in a small western town, me and my brother and sister, we went to, always went to the library. And uh, I love this small 
uh, when you have to the cards the cards uh-huh. with my name on uh, and yeah. uh, and that was very precious and I, just like I, for so many of us the library is a bookmark into memory beyond convenience we heard a comfort in their voices as they were telling us about being in the library throughout their lives. I remember um, all the different student libraries where I've been studying because there are different uh, smells and then there are different ways of organizing the books. Sometimes you sit in the middle of the book, sometimes you have your own shelf. The different smells, I think. This may sound weird, yeah. but one of the first things that I do when I get a new book is I smell it. Oh, yes. <laughs> do you do that? I do that. It's the smell of a new book is amazing. So when both Ada and I were walking into Biovica together, we had this sense that we could find little spots here or maybe even a different spot every time that we came in, depending on what we were looking for. And that kind of exploration felt really exciting. It was kind of like this stimulating feeling. Totally. That feeling was something that I I don't know if I've really felt it that much in other libraries. It has become sexy. The library, (laughs) this library is sexy. Rigmor has been working in libraries since the 1980s. The story is that I'm born in this tiny island near the coast and the only women working there was teachers. So I thought of being a teacher, but because that was the only thing I knew about. And then a friend of mine said she wanted to be a librarian. librarian. And suddenly I got this idea. So could I? She never became a librarian, <laughs> but I did. Yeah. For Rigmund, this library and also other libraries, they mean something. It's, it's a part of her. Mm, yeah. It's a part of her story. It's a part of her life. This is an example of libraries kind of being a part of this emotional city. There is a distinct feeling when you come into Bjovika. And there was a distinct feeling when we went into Homnia as well. Libraries are a part of this affective space. The combination of the things that happen in the library, of, of the library itself, the building, as well as it being filled with people and this library is filled with people. So many people. And in the best way possible. In the best way, yeah. In yes. a very good way. And filled with books and activities. It shapes how you are feeling inside. You could be distracted in this library. You could be focused. You could be curious or introverted. And you can seek out those different feelings. And that kind of creates this whole sense of possibility. I also, for Mm. me, I think the feeling that this library really sparks is curiosity. Mm -hmm. You get so curious about all the different spaces and it invites you to look at all of these books, be curious about them. Sometimes libraries can even affect your physical body as well. Landed out books. We had these cards. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes, we had those. Yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. writing, and mm-hmm. now we have this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's the a, yeah. So it's the the the, the data mm. revolution, yeah. mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had these cards. Mm. Yeah. 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 A lot of work with these cards, and I was a bit allergic to paper, oh. so I was oh. still. 
And now it's much easier. I actually, I, I don't really remember. I think I'm too young to remember oh. those cards. I remember them. About. Yeah, yeah, I really remember them. It was a thing that we did in middle school. And, and I loved being able to write my name in the book. Not in the book itself, but in the card. Yes. And then show, like, I have read this book. <laughs> it seems like a lot of work to be for the librarians to do that. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like it from Brigmo's experience. Mm -hmm. But now now things are... The first time? Yes. Yeah. Because it was only... The building was, as we say, raw. Yeah. And I worked years uh, with the, the planning of the library. So I knew for years I'd seen the drawings and everything and imagining how it would be. And we came here and there was a, like a container elevator outside. Oh. So we went into there and was lifted up here yeah. and came in and saw the windows in the roof and the ceiling. I, I almost cried. I, <laughs> I almost cried when really? I think about oh. it. Yeah, it was so, oh, it was really emotional, yeah. Yeah. And it's really amazing, at least it was for me, to hear about Rigmo's experience. Libraries being a part of her journey finding work in the 70s when women's work was still kind of transitioning from being more in the home to having jobs. Then she heard about being a librarian and felt like this was a totally new world for her. And also a welcoming space yeah. for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, challenging that otherness in that way. The library for her was more of an archetype for breaking out of the space of being marginalized as a woman. And this was such a beautiful experience and conversation that we got to bring with us when talking to the architects. Okay, I'm Marius Move. I'm a partner in Atelier Oslo. Yeah, my name is Einar Hagem. I'm a partner in Lund Hagem Architects. And we have been collaborating about this library since, since the beginning. Einar and Marius were really nice and down-to-earth people. And one of the things that they told us about was how they really designed this for the long view. Our uh, task from the municipality was to design a building for 200 years. So we, we try to say that we want to look at the building more as a kind of city in mm -hmm. small scale, because it's such an open public building to create spaces within an open, open space to mm -hmm. differentiate and to make intimacy and variation within an open space. You have. Uh, circulation routes, you have streets, passages, and different kind of spaces with different qualities. Uh, which are the uh, permanent thing? These permanent. are the permanent uh, yeah. qualities. And then mm. you can have like shops or spaces where one year it's uh, this kind of shop and next year it's a different kind of shop and it's not fixed forever. What is the mm -hmm. content mm. kind of, of, of experiment? experience of space outdoor outdoor space could also be inside on the west coast mm -hmm. of the united states where i'm from 
the Salish Sea and Portland, Oregon. The native folks in our region, the Lummi, Nooksack, Coast Salish people, talk about seven generations having a view that extends beyond the family that you know into the family, both past three generations in the past, mm -hmm. as well as three generations into the future. Einach and Marius connected to that. Mm. We were really fascinated by this mentality of the library as a city itself. Being urban planners. <laughs> Finding your own place. That was one sentence that was used all the, uh, through the whole process. Mm. We should, everybody should find their own place. I don't know if we should. Maybe one kind of ongoing discussion between the librarians and us and also the interior architects was uh, how can you express different atmospheres in different departments of the building because the librarians also wanted to get away a little bit from this traditional division between children, teenagers mm -hmm. and adults. Okay, so this goes into that making of space and appropriation of space that turns it into a place. I think that's also the good thing about what they were talking about this, the walls being the structure and, and then we have the floor and everything else being movable because a place, it's not a, a static thing. Mm. It's so, and it's very subjective feeling mm -hmm. as well. It's often this way of looking at place that it needs to be somewhere where you you're together with people you're mm. with someone else so you're having when you use the word placemaking it's often just like you lead up mm. to conversation and you lead up to an encounter with people it's like young girl and uh, <laughs> life between buildings now this is within a building so i think it's, it's not quite the same it's not quite <laughs> the same but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But I also think... Um, and you don't have to be consuming anything to use this space. Yes. And I think it also a library kind of challenge that very like a place has to be like super social. I feel like that's often... True. Uh, yes. But here you're... An expectation. It's not an expectation here mm -hmm. to be talking. Mm. And when we talk about production of space and place... The architecture around it, the physical things in a space create this feeling of belonging or mm. not belonging, which we then can take in Baudrillard, um, mm. who talks about power yes. and power structures. Within architecture and within cities, there can be this feeling of understanding what is acceptable and understanding what is good and cool and what is good architecture that's hegemony the social agreements that we make that are not spoken yes but that everyone knows mm -hmm. but it can be difficult because not everyone really knows it and here's the division between people so if you're a part of this one group that has mm. a cultural capital you'll yes. understand that this is this is a cool thing yes. this is a good thing this is aesthetically pleasing it's a sexy place it's a sexy place but if you're not you don't have that and you don't really you don't feel like you can be a part of it you don't feel like you can be a part of it and you're left out you're mm -hmm. left out of this like you you walk you can walk around and you can feel 
you feel like you're not you're not a part of this thing that other people understand and it just kind of defines and it confirms this division of power mm-hmm. within a city or within yes. a society but i believe there's something different here in this building and this goes into Lefebvre, <laughs> the right to the city, um, which talks about as an inhabitant, you have this right to be in the city and you have a right to belong. And to shape it. And to shape it and to be a part of it. And, and that's one thing that we were really critical about before we got here with Bjovika, because as you've mentioned, this is not it's not a very accessible location. In some ways, in some ways in it some is. Way it is. It's really expensive to live here. This is one of the most expensive parts of, of Oslo. 97,352 crowns per square meter is the average price here. And that's more expensive than the most expensive district. In Oslo. Yes, it is. There is a lot of uh, workplaces, a lot of offices, and it looks really newly developed. It looks fancy. It looks fancy, yeah. And Olav mentioned that too. He said that. But when we talked to the architects, it was so important to them, and from the beginning, that this was going to be a space for everyone. It was very important also the librarians told us in the beginning also that, that, that you, you, have, you, you need no excuse to go into a library. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can just go there and you should always feel welcome and you should feel that you are part of the, of the society. You know, and you, yeah, you, you're alone with the others. That is, that is uh, what's important, that you should feel that you, are, you can be alone, but you are always with, with some other people. And... Mm. That is, uh, that is why it's attractive. That level of comfort is one aspect that we heard over and over again as we were talking to people about their connection to this place. I think just I think Oslo has made a library that is for the whole of Norway, and it, it feels like it. it's also mm. mine. It's not only a library for the Oslo people. I really feel it like I feel I feel it very strongly. It's it's welcoming you to to our library. As I heard Astrid talk about library for all of Norway, I also thought about a library for the new people. In Norway, Norway has attracted quite a few immigrant populations. And we've seen how various countries respond to immigrants in a different way. Mm -hmm. It was interesting to hear Olaf's perspective of the Bjovika library being a space that felt comfortable and safe for immigrants. Yes, it's obvious that we have uh, attracted a lot of people who have not been to the library before. Uh, I think most uh, of the new groups are from the eastern uh, part of the town. How can you tell when somebody is from the east side? Uh, immigrant background. Mm. Uh, Oslo is very sharply divided. The Akerselva. Mm. Mm, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the river in the middle of yes. town that sort of separates this town. I thought it was interesting in this conversation how he talks about people from the east side or east siders right. as this code for immigrants. Mm. He thought that we would know mm-hmm. 
that he meant immigrants when he said the word east, east side. side. I think most people know it when you're from Oslo, but it's I wouldn't know you that. You wouldn't know that at all. But it's that. such a like obvious thing and it's such a big part of Oslo as a city. Right. That is just a known fact. Tying this back to the right to the city. A big part of the right to the city is also the right of being visible within the city. I just think that it's really important to talk about the way that we use language mm. to convey meaning. Because on a certain level, Ula felt uncomfortable saying immigrants. Mm -hmm. He felt it's easier to say the East Side. And it makes me less uncomfortable because before we weren't doing this. And now we're more open about welcoming everyone into our public spaces, specifically immigrants. And maybe it's, for better or worse, a transition for staff at the main library because the old library, the old main library, Hammersburg, mm -hmm. it sounds like it was a much more domineering, knowledge-focused, studious place. And Biovica is more fun. It's yes. more flexible as we say and because of that kind of taking it out of the space of knowledge building it into the space of flexibility and openness it also makes it more accessible let's say if you don't speak Norwegian or if you maybe have kids and want to take them somewhere for a Saturday afternoon and not necessarily just read which also ties back into visibility and otherness too mm. And that's maybe one of the advantages of Biovica as a library that's very well funded, a library that can invest money into space and programming that targets different audiences. And it's it can be hidden, the fact that this library was expensive. It's a lot of money that has been invested in mm -hmm. making this possible. That's not something every... Every community can do. can do. Norway is a country that has built its wealth on oil money. During the 60s, we, we discovered... <laughs> it's always so weird that when you speak about a country in that way, I was yes. not a part of discovering this oil, but we discovered the oil. And I even I know the date. It was the 23rd of December wow. in 1969, I believe. Wow. This is like, it's such an important thing that you, you learn the specific day. Because it was a turnover. Absolutely. Having oil has for such a long time, and still it equals wealth. It's the fossil fuels powering our cars and planes and transit that are lining the pages of these books. It is. Maybe we can think of that as, as one of the main challenges and critiques because, of course, Edda and I are huge nerds. We love libraries. We do. <laughs> it's been very difficult to not just feel happy and excited about this space. But one of the critiques that we have had has been that that cost of the library. One thing we've noticed as we spend time in these halls Nobody is here by accident. You have to go out of your way to come to this space because it's not a residential space. When you're here now, there's still a lot of people that are visiting to 
it's an attraction. It's almost like a tourist attraction. Yeah. When it becomes too much of that, is it difficult to listen to the community and the wants of the community right. and the people that are using it for right. other things than just looking around? And in that way, we move from this idea of a national library something that speaks to all needs as though they can exist in a very easily defined way to these local libraries. When we got to Holmlia, we got out of the bus, lots of people, because we went there the day that the new shopping mall was opening. But unfortunately, the whole power went out up for the center and the opening couldn't happen and we we checked it out and then we were like let's go to the library and that was only five meters away yeah it was right there right there it's very different from Bjelvika and it's nothing fancy about it it's a small door you Mm -hmm. get in but it's a inviting place still It's a very inviting place. We walked in and immediately, I think, I noticed how many more kids there were because the top floor is the children's area. And I think a lot of the families that were waiting for the shopping center to open had gone into the library to spend some time. That was also so great about this library was that we found a spot so easily. Walking around Bjavika, you have to scout. You have to search for maybe... 10 to 15 minutes to find a, se- a seat. And you're lucky if you get a, a charger or a... Yeah, we didn't. We, we were didn't. not lucky. That was not a problem at home. Yeah, we not found the spot. We found uh, we were able to charge our phones mm. and sit down for a little bit before we started mm-hmm. doing our interviews. So Homlia was immediately a very different space because of the proximity to the community being centered around children. And then that access to seating and access to spending time. Mm. Homelia is a small place, so almost every day we see the same kids. Mm. So that's nice. Uh, when you have a library in a place like this, you, <laughs> you can really get the chance to build a relation with, mm. uh, with the kids that come here. Carolina is a librarian. I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> She's been working at the... Homnia Library for quite a long time and also a few other libraries as well. So in her work, Carolina spends a lot of time with teenagers and it seems like it's really rewarding for her mm. as well. It was really different for us to hear about her talking about teenagers specifically. I hadn't thought about how important a library could be for that age group. And teenagers are also a group that is often overlooked yeah. in cities. And in communities, there's a lack of places for them to to hang out. To hang out. Yeah. But Carolina was really focused on what kind of potential it had for this young people. And also within a space like Holmlia, a lot of people live more densely. You might live with a bigger family in quite a small right. space. So you don't have a place to invite your friends you don't have your own room or you don't have your own like fancy tv room where you and your friends can hang out so you're really reliant on these public spaces public spaces to be able to socialize with your friends yeah and when it's cold and rainy you want to be on inside kids you know (laughs) youth 
into the libraries uh, are the most exciting thing. Most kids between the age of 15 to 18, they need a job. They need money. So we search for midler. Um, apply for yeah. funds. Yeah, apply for funds from several different places uh, so we can get kids to come and work for us. And then we um, make like a job. Um, okay, different types of jobs. Either um, if you are working in the library with, uh, you know, library stuff, like learning about how we're running the library, or if it's a project uh, with a podcast, for instance, or Cycle Fix, a project where kids come in and learn how to fix uh, bicycles. And we all always get a ton (laughs) (laughs) of replies. As we spend time in the library, we noticed that most of the teenagers, most of the people in that age group were immediately beelining to this one particular area in the library. And so, of course, I'm, I'm a curious person. So I walked over there and I was mm-hmm. like, what is this? And it was called the Benjamin Room. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, would you mind telling us a little bit about what made that room special? Yes. Um, so this is a room that is made to memorize Benjamin. Benjamin Hamilton was a 15-year-old boy who was hanging out with his friends in January 2001 when he got attacked and stabbed to death because of the color of his skin. There were neo-Nazis who target targeted him and his friends. This year com- is the 20th anniversary of his death and they then opened up this room called the Benjamin Room. The room is for reflection and anybody can come in there and sit down and just be. It's for having good conversations and yeah, (laughs) here in Holmlia, the thing about Benjamin is it's a huge deal and we want, of course, that this will never be forgotten, but we we also want the kids here to, you know, not ding themselves down, but to grow from all of this and look forward. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the idea of the room. To me, that was so powerful because it was much more personal than anything that I found at Biovica. And I think that gets back to one of the differences between a national library and a local library is that here in Homnia, it's much more likely that you'll meet someone you know. You have this opportunity to highlight the needs of the local community, to respond to them directly. We met another librarian who had also told us a little bit more about this room. Her name was Basa. Before it was like a memorial room upstairs with like pictures and um, the books, uh, this one book that came out this year. But now uh, it's been made into like a hangout area, kind of, for the, not kids, but like the youth. Yeah, the youth, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that was the thought behind making it kind of like that, instead of the a bit more traditional kind of memorial place Mm -hmm. thing, you know, it's... It's it's more fitting, I think, making it a bit more accessible for the teenagers, like mm. inviting them in, like, yeah, here's yeah. your spot, you can hang out here. And the shift in the room also mirrors this larger shift within the Dijkman group that 
Basa mentioned. I grew up in a place called Töjen. Ah, yes. And I spent quite a lot of time at the library there as well. You did? (laughs) Yeah, growing up. (laughs) I used to just chit-chat with the librarians. (laughs) (laughs) They used to get a bit sick of me at times. (laughs) Beckman had a little bit of a shift during that time. It was not going to be like a traditional library, but they were trying to be like an open place, an open arena for everybody to come. And I kind of liked that idea. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, why not work here? When we came into the libraries, I was wondering if the books would still even matter. But but mm. somehow they still they still do. Or they definitely still do. So many people who we talk to, I mean, beyond just the fact that the first word that people think of when they hear the word library is books. People talked about about the books as this maybe a tool to engage. But even just a reason to have this building to begin with. And then from there, it can be shaped and changed as add-ons, as additions, beyond just the books. Like Olaf said in the beginning, the books will always stay. The books is the main thing. I think walking around Bjovika, it's pretty clear that not very many people are actively reading a book. But in terms of being necessary for this space. And the books are still there. Yeah. And they're so visible. And I think it's correct what he's saying. Yeah, that the books are always gonna stay, but everything else is of this flexible. Every time I'm saying flexible, I'm moving my <laughs> hands because <laughs> it and feels. I, yeah, yeah, I feel you can feel the word within yes. it. When I hear about books being one of the main reasons to come to a library, I just keep over and over remembering this book that I read, <laughs> <laughs> and it's called "Walk Out, Walk On" by Margaret Wheatley and Deborah Fries. And in that book, there's this one section, the book itself is about different communities that are shaping reality in a way that is not fitting the norm of society. So they step out, they walk out of a society that isn't working for them, and they walk on to a new reality. And in one of these communities in South Africa, they talk about how in this park that had a lot of challenges that was not necessarily a very safe space welcoming space but people needed a space that was welcoming and safe the entry point into that was photographers of all things Hmm. not what you would initially think of as being the change makers Mm -hmm. but in this case photographers kind of symbolized this ability to be seen it gave people more of a sense of safety Because the photographers had connections to folks in a local daycare, they joined forces. The daycare workers had parents who then wanted to garden. Just from that initial project, the whole park changed. And that was this concept of start anywhere, follow it everywhere. So then the books would kind of be this starting starting point. Absolutely. That's that's exactly what I how it relates in my mind. And that's like when we talked to Caroline, the librarian at Holmlea, she was talking about how when she decided to become a librarian, it was all about books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her first and most of the librarians, their first thing that they said drew them to this work was the books. Mm. But it brought them so much further than that. For Carolina, it was working with the youth. Bassa talked about creating connections with the families at Homlia. 
love it was always the books. <laughs> always the books. <laughs> but but he also yeah. had this like passion of um, service, service, and and for youth to discover the power of books. True. And the power of researching and being able to mm-hmm. use them. And so thinking about books being the entry point into larger community needs, following those needs wherever they may take you. Libraries really represent this fabrication, this shaping of community that's around becoming literate in the city, not only in terms of learning how to read, but also learning how to navigate society by creating this space People use it. People affect change on the space. They appropriate the space. And by that space then being created, youth specifically at Homnia learn how to be members of society. And it also creates a, when we talk about creating of space and creating of identity in Holmlia, having a place and a space to come to, but also having a, a purpose. A purpose and a purpose that is given by your community and it's working for your community, mm-hmm. builds up this identity, being a part of a bigger a bigger thing. And of being a productive member of society and not needing to possess monetary wealth in order to do that. Um, urban designers like Jan Gell, who really focus on the public city as this space where you can consume, where you can buy a cappuccino and sit at a coffee table and people watch, this is a chance to see how you can how you fit in and are valued and that value translates to your identity as a citizen mhm is a very diverse neighborhood 57.3% of the population has an immigration background which is high for oslo people who are immigrants can afford to be and it was really nice talking to some of those folks because they have a really unique impression of Holmlia as a library. C-H-A-R-N, Charn, Sing, S-I-N-G-H, Sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A. I'm from India, I'm from Pakistan. So this is Sharan and his friend. When we first found this spot in the library to sit down, we were kind of just doing our little notes and preparing for the for the day. Mm-hmm. And these two were just chatting away. Away. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed like they were having a really good time. Yeah, mm. yeah. And to put it in perspective, they're older men. They're in their probably late 70s. And we just really wanted to talk to them. We mm-hmm. we thought they would have a unique perspective of, of Homelian Library. And and so we, we approached them. And they and were so, so nice. And they were just the, the kindest. Mm. I came to Norway in uh, 1974. That's nice. And do, do you come here often to this library? Almost every day. Almost wow. every day. Yeah, we read uh, newspapers, different newspapers. This library, it feels like you're more able to, to meet people without like really making a plan. It's chance encounters. Like Sharan and his friend. They hadn't planned to They meet. hadn't planned to meet. And they also, they met each other within the community and they become friends because of these meeting places. And now they keep on running into each other and they're having really good conversations. We are different people, different philosophies, <laughs> but it is nice to talk. Mm. Yeah. We thought about this in the broader context of, of Homnia compared to Bjavika. Bjavika is a place where you go or that you go out of your way to visit. 
as compared to Homnia, which it's so much more easily accessible. You can walk there, literally a two-minute walk from the bus line, from the metro. And it's so close to people's home. Yeah, they have also Urdu language, which I speak and read. So, um, back about 10 years ago, I uh, just borrowed Urdu books. Mm. Asma is also from the neighborhood of Homlia and she also exemplifies this skillful and literate city. Yeah, I mean, going to Homlia Library for her meant interacting with her language, the language that she left behind when she moved to Norway. That's this ability of a library to be welcoming and not even just for and books. Outside it's really cold, a little bit cold, and many people go around, so... It's better here to sit here and talk with her, look at the children. Asma came to Homely Library years ago to read books in Urdu. But she's also found this comfortable place where she can also just come in and sit down and talk with her friends and watch the kids. So yeah. maybe her way into the library was because she wanted books. But now she... She's found this new she's found this place where she can also do other things. I love that she wanted to see the kids. Basa was the same. It's always help helping like a mother mm. or a father <laughs> finding a book for their kids uh. who, are, who's, who are like really eager to read, but they've read everything. Uh. So it's like, oh, help me. <laughs> do you have an example of something? <laughs> it's like, it's so fun finding something for those kids who are like really eager. And later on, we met Frederick, who was doing just that. We mainly use the library for our children. To, do, to borrow books for, for them. Frederick and told us how he is from Stavan um, and moved to Oslo to study. And he now lives in Homlia with his three kids and his wife. wife. Yeah, as we mentioned before, this building has the entire top floor dedicated to kids. So in the interview, you can hear the children playing or screaming in the background. And Clearly, that was a very important element for the people, the librarians in Homnia. And I think kids are a beautiful way of bringing people together. When they have this room of library where they can kind of go and explore themselves and the parents can be watching them. And From the sidelines. Mm. We have this word that's called psychogeography, which talk about how it's about understanding how the environment affects us. And also the physical layout, how it affects us, our emotions and behaviors. Mm -hmm. So what's so nice about this library in Holmlia and also what Frederick said was it was just a 10-minute walk mm -hmm. to get to this library. And that location, how that then affects the behavior and the emotions towards this library, but also towards Holmlia as a place. It as a place. It's really convenient. I live four minutes uh, down the street and, and they have a lot of books for, for kids and, and... So Homlia was a very different experience for us than going to Bjavika. We really appreciated the level of intimacy and also how also how we were welcomed. Oh, we were so welcomed. It was a different experience from Bjavika. Not that we're not welcomed here, mm -hmm. but it was a bureaucratic process here. Yes. We got badges, we had meetings and, and specific times that we were able to communicate with people. But at, at Homnia, we arrived and they had heard of us. Yes. 
They were like, you're the podcast people. And we were we, we looked at each other. I, I guess we are. And we were invited into the podcast room. Hmm. We yeah, were allowed to use their equipment. Just showed into by the librarians. And then also like another one was knocking on our door being like, do you guys want to talk to me? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was a very open place. Carolina talks about this intimacy within the library when she talked about the youth that she's meeting. She speaks to how important names are, how important the specific people who come to the library often are. And we actually had this really lovely experience right before we were leaving where there was this child following around one of the librarians whose name was Amin. And he kind of was walking away and she followed him screaming, Amin, <laughs> Amin. And then they, you know, he, he turned around and they had their conversation, but it was just so intimate to see this little girl of six to seven years knew knew his name i also saw how some other kids seemed like they were really comfortable around him i think they were just about to be kicked out of the library oh. because they had been i don't know fooling around a lot and right but they were talking to him and like saying it felt kind of like a vulnerable conversation about how seemed like some other kids were kind of aggravating them into this behavior and he listened to them he mm -hmm. heard them and i think that aspect of homnia as being a known community place really shined through when we were there uh, it's not easy to learn everybody's name but you are learning somebody's name mm. so when kids come in here you say hello and use their name and you know they they feel at home so, yeah. Yeah, so of course we noticed that there were some key differences between this larger library of Bjavika and a much more community-focused library like Homlia. In both cases, one thing that rang true was that libraries are more than just a stuffy place for nerds like us. It has become sexy. <laughs> the library, <laughs> this library is sexy. It's a place for exploring. It's a place for curiosity for meeting up with your friends. Feeling safe. Feeling safe. And you get to participate in shaping it. And it's different ways of doing that. At Bjørvika, you can participate in the way that you can find your own spot. At Holmlia, you can do the same. But it feels like you can also be a part of shaping it by talking to the librarians and being shaped by it, yes. These two things reflect some of the different needs of user groups. When you look at a library like Homlia, where the user group is much smaller, much more targeted group of people. When we were reading up for this project, we learned about how s libraries are social infrastructure spaces. And in Homlia, the infrastructure is made for that community. Yes. And it's answering the needs for that community. Like the Benjamin Room. Yes. Bjørvika, it's answering more the needs of the nation and a city, the mm. whole city of Oslo, the nation of Norway. You can see that also in the types of events they have right. here. This week, they're having an event talking about the Sami people in Norway. Right. And yeah. their rights and how society has met them and are meeting them in their daily life. Which is a conversation that is needed for the whole nation. Right. At a local scale, it might be more specific. It might be local people talking about their experience or like in the example of Homnia, having a specific class for women immigrant mothers to practice Norwegian in a safe space which was something that happens weekly there just thinking again about libraries as 
a part of this urban fabrication process. Maybe the next time that you go to the library, think about how that library fits you and what elements you can shape as well. There might be resources available at your library where you can where you can do that. And that's all a part of this fabrication of a city, shaping it. Being a part of the everyday life, but also the structure of being a citizen of a nation, shaping the emotional, effective space around you of, of experiencing it and speaking to it and maybe even challenging the standards, the norms, and what's accepted within your community. Maybe you can help teach a child how to read. Or you can just sit there and relax or study and do your own thing. And you can decide how How much or how little you want to be involved. And how you're going to shape your own little piece of this fabric. So this has been a production by me, Rachel McKinnon Dunkeld. And me, Adarlene Fu, Bibliothèque Social. This is a production of the Systems Zoo. And thank you so much for listening. We want to thank all of the people that participated in interviews, in organizing, and in getting us to this place where we can be talking to you now. Thank you again, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye! Bye.